We're going to continue our, our, our look at the Lord's Prayer, and we will uh, say it t- together, if you would, right now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you do have your Bibles, you can open them to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And we will be camping uh, mainly on that verse and a portion of that verse where it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And sandwiched in that prayer is what I would like to call a preventive prayer, and it's just that one. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is the reality that faces everybody here in this congregation today and everybody over there in the venue. This is the reality of your life. There's no one here that has not had a tribulation or a temptation or a trial or a time of suffering. You've experienced somewhere in your life that experience. And there is no one free, no one, and it doesn't matter if you're a blood-bought saint, there is no one that is free from temptation. And in fact, It circles our lives and our hearts and our minds every moment that we're awake. And from the moment you woke up this morning and you had a conscious awareness, the old devil was right there. But thanks be to God, greater is he that is in you, that is he that is in the world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever you're at and and wherever, whatever you're doing, he's always there because grace is greater than the sin. And I want to look at these first three little things that we put down here. We all face temptation, and I'm going to answer and fill in the blanks, and we're going to make some comments about them. We sin. That was easy. And if you can't spell it, it's S-I-N. Wow. We often fail in times of Testings and trials, F-A-I-L. <clears throat> and the last one is there are ripple effects because of our poor choices. And I want you to imagine with me this morning that everybody here, you are a, an airport. You're an airport. And in that airport, everyone here has a control tower. And right there in the middle of the airport is a control tower, and you are the one that is in the top of that control tower. And with that, you need to understand, it's a big word, but you are a trichotomy. A trichotomy. (laughs) A lovely trichotomy. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, it says you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. 
So up in that control tower, there is a body, there is a soul, and there is a spirit. And inside that soul, your soul, there is a mind, will, and emotions. So here you are, you have an airport, you're in charge of it, you have a runway, you have hangars, you have a taxiway, but you're in the airport. You have the will, you make the choices. Now remember, in that control tower, there you are. And above your skies, around your airport, are thousands of planes circling all the time, day and night. You wake up in the middle of the night, they're still circling, and some of them desperately want to land. And folks, there's good airplanes full of malignant sin. And there's I mean, there's bad airplanes. Wow. No, that is not all right. There are good airplanes full of everything pure. There are bad airplanes that are circling your tower and your airport, everything bad, and that, they have malignant sin in them. And all of these planes and these helicopters and these parachutes and these hot air balloons, they want to land at your airport. You are the one that makes the choice. And it doesn't matter if you've had eternity settled in your heart and you're saved. Sad to say there's too many times in our lives that we go ahead and let some bad ones land on our runway. And we're immediately ashamed, but sometimes we, we just let them go over into the hangars and we lock them up because we're kind of embarrassed. But we like our little secret bad habits, so we have certain hangars for the bad airplanes. And boy, they had an our control tower and we got a sign out in front of our uh, airport and we're a god uh, breathe the airport and we're a Christian and we want everybody to know that this is a pristine, lovely place to live and land. The Bible says in Philippians, whatsoever things are pure and just and honest and good report, these are the kind of airplanes that we allow to land many times too. It's sad to say there is a stench on the edge of our airports too often that we have allowed way too many bad airplanes to land. And it has affected our airport and it has affected our lives. And I want to give an Old Testament experience that illustrates this New Testament truth. You can read it on your own in 1 Samuel chapter 15. There was a man there by the name of Samuel, a prophet. There was an anointed king of God called Saul. And there was God himself that told Saul and Samuel that I want the Amalekites to die. They are as bad as the Canaanites. They are sin cursed. I want them all to die. And I want you to kill the men and the women and the children and the sheep and the oxen and the cattle, everything, dead. Samuel comes back, talks to Saul, how'd it go? I went, great. I took 210,000 men. I went in and I just slaughtered the Amalekites. And man, we had a great victory. And Samuel says, well, what's that noise I hear? 
Oh, that is, the, uh, we saved some of the best sheep. Because, you know, I'm a religious man and I love the Lord and, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God. And who's that dude over there? Well, that's King Agag. And we wanted to kind of keep him as kind of a little trophy that we can remember how God uh, gave us this great victory. And Samuel says, shame on you, Saul. God loves obedience rather than sacrifice. And you have gone and you have did a divination as bad as rebellion and you have been disobedient to God and your kingdom will be taken from you and the end of your life will be destruction. And the rest of Saul's life was one of erosion that he went away from God and he went to a witch at Endor and he died with a spear and an Amalekite in his presence. That's called remaining sin. That's called people that have airports and they allow remaining sin, the circles in their life. And even though they're believers, they allow them to land at their runways and they clog up their lives. Remaining sin, folks, is something you and I are going to deal with the rest of our lives until we're on the wrong side of dirt. And then we go in the presence of the Lord. We will deal with remaining sin. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and 17, there is a battle between your flesh and your spirit and your spirit and your flesh. You make the choice. The planes that land at your airport is by your choice. And if you want to have an Agag tag on the back of your life or on your hangers, that's your choice. But don't blame anybody else that your Christian life does, seems like it's been shriveled. And that's the way temptations and evil can do even in our walk as a professing believer today. And it's sad to say that way too many times we cave. Now before we look at the definitions here, I want to answer a couple questions. Questions that I asked myself when I just read this sentence. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Now, wait a minute. Why would I pray that and ask the Lord to lead me not into something when he doesn't tempt people? The Bible's very clear about that in James chapter 1. The Lord does not tempt anyone. He does not tempt us to do evil. Well, the word that is placed here in the Greek, parosmos, is a word that is used not only with temptation, but the same word is used for testing. Identical. Well, let's place the word testing. Lord, lead us not into testing. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't James chapter 1 verse 12 also say, count it all joy when we fall into testings. So do we have a problem here? What's Christ trying to tell us with this prayer? Count it pure joy when you fall into temptations or testing. Doesn't it say in Genesis 22 and 1 that Abraham was tempted and tested to pick up a knife and slay his son? Yes. <clears throat> now this is the answer. <clears throat> and it's serious. You can put either word in here because the negative side of parosmos is temptation the positive side is testing. But when you pray this prayer, 
with a heart of humility, it makes sense. And that is why when Rick started this message, he spent so much time. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when we get down to the portion of this prayer here, we are praying in humility, God, you know my heart. And as my Father, I do not want to get involved in any temptation I don't want to be involved in any testing or any trial or any situation that would make me go against your will, O oh Father. Keep me alert to the wrongs. I do not want to flirt with evil because you know me. I am weak and undone and I can't do anything without you. But Father, you know my heart and if you want me to go in to a time of trust, testing or a trial, then Father, just give me the strength to thank you for it because it's your will. Let's define the word. Temptations are from the devil. <clears throat> the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes or his stratagems or his evil desires. Temptations are from the devil. It is the devil that tempts. God does not tempt you to sin. It is the devil that tempts. And all of those planes that are flying around your airport that have wicked thoughts and wicked schemes, it is of the devil. The devil tempts man to sin. And I do believe that the that the satanic operation of all of his things that he does is in the mind and the heart of man. His theater of operation is in your control tower. And he tests your will and your mind. So many times he will... He'll come at us from so many different directions and, and ways that we get so inundated with temptations, we just, we just feel like quitting. The young lady was sitting out here this morning. I came in early and I was listening to the choir. And she was sitting back there and when I walked in, I, she got up and I met her over here and, and we went out there and, and she says, I gotta go to work right away, but I need somebody to pray with me. My mind is just swirling around and I have doubts and fears and, and so many things are going on. And, and I said, well, you're in an airport. Yeah. And I'm so thankful she stayed around that we could talk about that. But she says, you know, you're right because I'm allowing the wrong things to land. And she thought it was the Holy Spirit. And she shared some of those terrible thoughts that she's been having where she cannot sleep and that's of the devil. We had a man that was talking to me the other day, came by and he said, well, you pastors, uh, you probably don't fight battles and temptations. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, but you come into your offices and it's just like holy ground, isn't it? Holy ground? I remember a few weeks ago when Rick said, well, if you would want to help us out this weekend, he, he gave us this passage, and, and I says, we'll pray about it. Well, 
when Rick says something, you pray about it, and then you say yes. No. And so I remember walking into my office, I opened my Bible, and over there circling in the corner of the office was a 172, the temptation called laziness. And he says, Gordon, you don't need to spend 20 or 30 hours on this passage. Come on, look at it. It's only a couple words. You don't have to spend any time. And right above there was another Cessna, and it was floating around, and, and it was a temptation of procrastination. Come on, you've got three weeks. You've got two weeks. Wait till the last couple days. Throw a, a bunch of poems together and read something, and it'll be fine. And then there come a hot air balloon floating over, and, and it was a temptation of distractions. There on my desk was a bunch of things I needed to get done and people to go visit in the hospital. And then there was a stack of donuts. <laughs> I am so sorry. But these are distractions. And they can take you away from things. Then all of a sudden, that's bush league temptations. And the big boys, the dive bombers begin to come in. And things like doubts and, and come on, this passage is, is, is really kind of boring and, and there's no way that you can even, no, wait a minute, it's the word of God. And there's all kinds of things that can float in your life to take you away from the Bible until you get on your knees and open the word and use the spade work of God's Holy Spirit to open up and open up those planes will fly away for a season. But it's through prayer that they are diminished. And you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes in your holiest moments with the Lord, whether it's reading or praying or sharing or meditating, that is when the dive bombers try to get in. The devil hates it. And he'll throw every temptation he can, but temptations are of the devil. Testings is from the Lord. This is of the Lord. He is going to allow things to come into your life from time to time that is going to really start to sway your heart and your mind and your will and emotions. But he's going to do it and he's going to bring it into your life for a reason because he wants to make you to have a more Christ-like life. And James says, not only that, but he's going to purify your souls. And sometimes the storms that you and I go through in life, it's not negative. Christ knows what we need, how much we need to get us to the end of ourselves. That we might look at him at every day and every moment. And so often we try to run from the fixes we're in when he's really put you in a fix to fix you. And we run from the fix or he just puts you in another fix until you learn to get fixed. And when you're fixed, you're conformed to the image of your son and you go, duh, I get it. Testings are from the Lord. And this is the way it works so often. God puts you in a test. 
And immediately, Satan brings a temptation. Happens every time, folks. I don't know what he has you in right now. Some of you might be having a, a testing and a trial with an infirmity of your body. And the minute that happens, you know that you have been tempted. 900 yards south of this building in a two-story apartment is a lady right now that loves Jesus. Her name is Darla Matthews. All of a sudden, a couple months ago, the cancer was gone and she was free of cancer from her body. But it came back and now she's got three tumors in her brain. In a couple days, we were over there and to sit in the presence of Darla Matthews is an absolute joy. She don't know what's going to happen now. She doesn't like to have cancer of the brain. But you sit there and she just glorifies the Lord and she talks about Jesus and she just wants to lift up Jesus. I'll tell you what happens when that takes place. You silence Satan. Job is a great example of that. Job went through all kinds of suffering and trials. 38 chapters. God never removed any of it. And through every one of it, he silenced Satan. And whatever you're going through right now, it might be finances, it may be infirmities, it may be a reproach, it may be a rejection, it may be loss of job, it could be all kinds of things. But when you're being tested, you know the temptation is right there. Satan tempts us to do evil. The San Francisco 49ers have a new coach. I hope it helps. And I can well imagine that Harbaugh, I think that's his name, and he's probably got all of his men together, and, he, and they're just coming up with a game plan, all kind of game plans. In fact, every team in the NFL, they're coming up with game plans right now. They got to come up with a better game plan than their enemies, the other teams, or they lose. And they're all working on sneaky little schemes and game plans somehow to beat the opposing team. Well, guess what? Satan's game plan for 6,000 years has never changed. He's got three plays. Let's fill them in. Satan tempts us with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He has never deviated from these three. Every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that you have ever been tempted with, will be found in one of these. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And all of these shoots and these lures that he comes down with these, he will do everything that he can to have you lower your standard of living as far as holiness in the sight of God. He wants you to trip up. He wants you to mess up. He wants you to do everything wrong that you do not glorify God. And every one of these things that slam into us, they can diminish our walk. Then how do I know when I have crossed the line and I have sinned? Pastor Rick shared with us a little mechanism called guilt. 
when we make a wrong, we make a sin, and God placed it within us, we have this guilt box, and we know immediately we've sinned. David had it back in Psalm 32. He used by the lust of the eyes, he glanced at this woman, it conceived and went into sin. The guilt box turned on. Psalm 32 says, my moisture is turned to the drought of summer. My bones are waxing old. He's laying on his bed at night. He can't sleep. It's because he sinned. How do you know when you've sinned? I want you to imagine we're driving down Tolly Road. There's a large billboard that says on there, everybody loves milk. You've all seen them on trucks, and you've probably seen them on billboards. Everybody loves milk. There's nothing wrong with milk. The problem with the sign is the body. The body is a beautiful young lady that is half-dressed. And you're driving along Tolly Road, and you look up at the sign, and that is called normal observation. And the minute you look, this is the way the devil works, he immediately throws a temptation in. Temptation is not sin. Because you're tempted with things, that's not sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that Christ was tempted in all points like we, yet he never sinned one time. Then when do I sin in relation to the sign? I have the normal observation. I'm looking at the sign. I see the beautiful lady. I'm driving down Tolly Road. I am being tempted. I wonder what she would be like. And you get down Tolly Road, you might make it to Orangeburg or maybe the freeway, but you maybe probably won't make it to Merced. But somewhere in that time, if you have abnormal preoccupation with the woman and the sign, the Bible says in James that it's your evil desire. You allowed the plane to land and you have crossed the line. And if that is not checked somewhere along the life, along the line in every area of our life, you will cross the line of abnormal preoccupation and it'll feed itself. And in time, you will sin, and sin brings death. Is it forgiven? Absolutely. But that's the trickiness of the devil. That is how smooth he is. He did it to Eve in the garden. And he's doing it today. And sometimes it puts us in a position we feel that it just seems like I keep falling to these same things. Sometimes we feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 24. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from these malignant parachutes and these sins that come on my life? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And we come to the question, how can we deal with temptations and testings? And I really answered it right there. Do what Jesus did. Well, what did he do? And as we looked at this passage and we looked at the, the simple statement, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All you've got to do is go back and just watch the life of Christ. For 33 years, he was on this planet. 
For 33 years, he had campsite after campsite after campsite with his disciples. For 33 years, as a young man, as a, a teenager, as an adult, he was tempted every day the moment he woke up. And even though he was all God and all man, he never sinned once. Yes, but you say he was God. But that does not keep us from following his example. What did he do? And it may seem very redundant to you today and very, very simple, but we're going to keep it that way because this is what Jesus did. And if you're having a problem with temptations in your life and they're overwhelming you and you're falling into sin and you're having problems with trials and tribulations and you don't know how to deal with it, then let's do what Jesus did. Number one, he read the word. The Bible says, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. People wonder, wonder today why they're flopping around and falling in and just caving into sin. Well, have you hid the word of God in your heart? Now, this is a very sad statistic. But there was a poll taken in Christianity in America and they took this poll and they said one out of 40 men and women read their Bibles every day. That's 42 of you in here right now. That's 19 of you over in the venue. Are you one of the 42? If you're a Christian this morning, there is no excuse for you not opening your Bibles every single day. Every day. We feed the outer man and we do a good job of it. We do it about three times a day. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, I believe, what about feeding and strengthening the inner man day by day that he can be renewed? And then we wonder why we, we fail and we fall. One out of 40, and it gets worse. One out of 12, study it. Study it every day. If you're not reading the Bible every day as a challenge, a godly challenge, I plead with your life right now that you pick this Bible up and you read it every single day. Dads and moms, how much of the Bible are you reading in your homes with your children? Are you going to be remembered in your household as the daddy that opened the book? He not only read the word, but he spoke the word. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4. There is not one temptation that Christ was faced with on this planet that he probably did not respond in this way. When he was tempted on the mount by the devil, what did he do? He didn't quote 
John MacArthur or David Jeremiah or some great Bible teacher, as good as they may be. No, he said, it is written. And if you want to disallow the planes to land and clog your airport and your hangars, you use the same thing Christ did. It is written. Don't come up with your own opinions. And when you're tempted with something, devil, it is written. And you know the areas of your life that you're struggling with today. You find the scripture. It's in there. It's alive. It's powerful. And it will keep you from falling. He read the word, he spoke the word. And there's hell in our homes today because the Bibles are not being read. The Bible says in Isaiah 39:4, what have they seen in your house? One of the great memories I have in my childhood is my father and my mother reading the Bible every night. And the stories that I learned on my mother's lap. Listen, folks, it's not fuddy dud. It's not old fogey. Your children want the truth. We're so glad when they get adopted into the family that we don't know how to adapt them to our society because we're not in the Bible. He read the word, he spoke the word, he submitted to the word. James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore unto the Lord and resist the devil. That means every day. Every day you're confronted with something. Every day in the Serengeti Desert, uh, animals are up and running. If they're not, it's survival of the fittest. If the lion can't outrun a gazelle, it starves. If the gazelle can't outrun the fastest lion, it becomes lunch. The Bible says in Peter that the roaring lion, the devil, he is out to devour you and I. And the minute you have a waking conscience, every morning he's hounding you. And if you don't have the word of God, and if you have not hid it in your heart, you're going to be in trouble. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible says in Timothy, you're going to suffer persecution. It's how we handle and it's how we react to it. And we don't react right unless we have the word of God. What if Christ would come into your home <clears throat> this afternoon and he says, hey, I just wanted to stop by and I, I just want to stay, stay with you a week. And I got a video camera and I'm just going to be with you a week. Don't worry about it. Would you say, wait a minute, don't come, I gotta go home first and I gotta clean some things up. Uh, there's a couple videos I gotta, don't slide him under the bed, he can see through it. But can you imagine if Christ would spend a week in your home with a video camera? I just wanna see how you're living your life for my glory. Folks, he's doing it anyway. And the last one, he prayed the word. And why is this important? 
He humbled himself, the Bible says, and he prayed. Even in the hour of temptation, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And why do we pray? Because when you pray, you are confessing your weaknesses, and at the same time, you are acknowledging the strength of a forgiving God. We are to read the word, we're to speak the word, we're to share the word, submit to the word, and we're to pray the word. And I wonder sometimes if maybe we shouldn't change our prayer life just a little bit. I'm going to ask you today, if you're in a trial and you're in a tribulation and you're in a time of persecution and you've been praying to God the Father to get rid of it because you can't handle it anymore, then why don't you be like Jesus for a moment? Be like the Apostle Paul for a moment and do like they did. Jesus in the garden says, I don't want this cup. I don't want to go through it, Lord, please. Just take it away. And God says, no. And he says, okay. And he went to the cross. And the apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, being buffeted by the Satan, he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times, God, I hate this thing. The Lord says, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. And Paul responded the same way Jesus did and the same way you and I need to do. Okay. Okay. If you're not going to remove it, then I'm going to pray this way. And this is what he prayed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Okay, Lord, most gladly, therefore, I will take pleasure in my infirmities. I will take pleasure in my reproaches, in my necessities, in my persecutions, in in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And why can we pray this? Because we're going to trust the Father's will that if this is what he is keeping in my life and in your life to keep you at the end of yourself and the beginning of him every moment, then it's worth it. You see, Jesus is all we need. And sometimes we don't realize he's all we need until he's all we have. And Paul's seen that. And Paul understood it. And I thank the Lord today that he's given us a refuge to run to. And I want you to look at the last three blanks here. And I want you to fill them in. I'm going to make some comments. There's going to be times that slam into our life that we just feel like throwing in the towel. Things get so fuzzy and so fickle and so out of shape and doesn't seem like anything's going right. Well, folks, look right here. Stay close to the cross. Stay close to cross-bearing people. Stay close to sinners who need the cross. Because if you get away from the cross, you got away from it. And you need to stand and be around cross-bearing people, and I've seen that at Celebrate Recovery. I've seen it witnessed in home groups. We need each other. We need to come together. We need to lift up the heavy hands that hang down. And we need to stay close to sinners because they need Christ. And sometimes we think we're so out of tune and we're so culturally relevant and we're so uh, uh, socially correct and so many things we're doing and we're way out of shape. I like the example of Moses, Exodus 4. God says, Moses, I want you to go back and take the people out of that sinful Egypt. Moses said, I can't do it. 
I've been on the backside of a desert for 40 years. I can't do it. I don't know those people anymore. And God says, Moses, take my people out. Moses said, I can't do it. God says, why can't you? And Moses says, because I don't look like them anymore. And I don't sing the songs of Egypt anymore. And I don't know the top 10 shows of the Nile anymore. And I don't take us and people and club and penthouse anymore. And God says, I know. It took me 40 years to get Egypt out of you. And now I want you to take the people out of Egypt. And every single one of us, as God is conforming and working in your lives, fathers and mothers, he's doing it for a purpose to conform you to his image and his son, that you might give him glory in all ways and every way. Little Johnny and little Mary are probably praying that same prayer to you, fathers and mothers. Daddy, mother, don't lead me into temptation. Don't make me be like somebody else. I just want to remain pure. I want to re- remain by, by the, like the stories you read out of the Bible. And I want to close today with a supposition. I want you to suppose that the year is 1968. You're 18 years old. It's 1968. You've got a brand new Firebird. You got a brand new girlfriend. You got your license. You got a brand new job. Everything's perfect. And then because of a set of weird circumstances, the whole world turns upside down overnight. You don't have your license anymore and your firebird is gone and your girlfriend is nothing more than a picture in your wallet and you don't have a job and you're 12,800 miles from home and you're in the rice paddies of Vietnam. And did I mention that you're the point man? You are the point man and you have eight men under you that you are responsible for in that rice paddy. And did I mention that the bullets are flying? And all of a sudden it happens and you get a bullet through your side and you get a bullet through your arm and you get a bullet through your leg and you lay there bleeding and you grab the phone the bag phone to try to get help and you look to your left and two of your men are already dead and you look to your right and the other three are dying and you don't even see your other men and the next 60 seconds will determine if you make it out alive or somebody comes back and picks up the dog tags around your neck. It's the choice you make in the next 60 seconds that would determine if you live. Fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, mothers and fathers of single parents' households, you are the point men. You are the one that is making the choices that will determine whether your family is placed on the casualty list or you become a walking benediction of God's grace and mercy because of your choices that you're making in your home 
that you're making with your family. Read the word. Speak the word. Share the word. Submit to the word. Pray the word. And they will not be coming by to pick up the dog tags of your family. That's the guarantee. That's the kind of the Lord we have. Let's pray. Father, we realize as we pray the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Even in this place today, there were planes circling. There were so many temptations. Some planes were landing, possibly, that were negative. We trust there were good ones landing. And Father, we're all going to go away from this place, and we all have the opportunity, and we're all going to make choices. And your word says in Joel that multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. And Father, by the way of the Holy Spirit, give us wisdom, wisdom, Father, that we make the right decisions as parents, as point men, that you are glorified. And we don't have an embarrassment of a lousy-looking airport. Encourage our hearts, Father, to live right, to love you, and to look for your return as we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's have a song. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song together. Come and fill our home with your presence. You alone are worthy of our reverence. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve and as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord and as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.